Uh, There's an educational principle that all of us are very familiar with. I believe it was William Glasser who was the first one to say that we remember 10% of what we read, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we see, 50% of what we see and hear, 70% of what we see, hear, and discuss, and then this, 90% of what we see, hear, discuss, and practice. We all see the point. The best learning takes place when we are involved. I love the little summary on this slide because it says it so well. You can tell or show members how to do something, but the actual experience of doing it themselves is the best way to reinforce learning. Now this is also true spiritually. Spiritual growth comes through practice. Maturity is never measured by what we know. It is always measured by what we do with what we know. And that's why the application of God's Word is always the goal of God's truth. Uh, Some of you know many years ago that Chuck Swindoll wrote a very well-known book entitled Three Steps Forward and Two Steps Back. And in that book, he put this very powerfully. Listen to what he said. Being exposed to sound Bible teaching does not automatically solve problems. Bible instruction alone will not result in instant solutions to problems. No matter how reliable the teaching or how gifted the teacher, the declaration of truth does not provide the removal of difficulties. There is no such instant maturity available on this earth. God does not offer a formula that produces fully mature Christians overnight. Christian growth comes through hardcore, gutsy perseverance, a forgotten word, says Pastor Swindoll of applying what you hear and obeying it, and thereby learning how to handle those inevitable problems. That statement ought to be written down in the front of every single one of our Bibles. Because it is consistently applying what we learn That is the key to God's Word changing our lives. But now the question for us is how? How do we consistently apply what God's Word says so that we can change? Well, this morning we are going to be looking at a little principle that we discover in our little series in the book of James. Uh, We are coming this morning to James 1, 19-27, and we are looking at this message, how to get the most from your Bible. And there is a little principle that we want to pick up today, and we want to see how James develops it. We'll look at the first part this week, and the next part in a subsequent week. But listen to this principle. To get the most from your Bible, 
you must understand how your Bible works. I want you to take your Bibles and open with me to James 1. And this morning we are going to read the first part of this passage, starting at verse 19, just down to verse 21. And I want you to see if you can pick up what James says is how the Bible works in our life. Would you look with me at verse 19 through 21 and notice what James 1 says. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls." Do you see how the Word of God is supposed to work? Look at what James is teaching us. He is telling us that the Bible works like seed and it grows in prepared soil. Let's just take a moment, shall we, and bow our hearts. And even this very moment today, Let's ask the Lord that we would be working diligently to prepare our soil so the Word of God could do its work. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You speak to us in very powerful images, illustrations and metaphors that we understand in daily life. And Lord, You give us those metaphors that we might see beyond the mundane into the spiritual world and to see how it is that You work in our lives today. And we pray, Lord, as we look at how You designed the Word of God to work, that we today might prepare the soil of our lives, that we would not be hearers who remain the same, but people who change under the wonderful, powerful working of the Word of God. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now I want you to notice that James is speaking here to Christians. And in verse 21, he says that we are to receive the implanted Word. Now follow what he is saying to us. The Bible, then he says, is like seed. And just as physical seed is planted in soil and grows and produces a crop, so the seed of God's Word is to be planted in our hearts and it is to grow and produce a crop. Now every farmer, every gardener knows you have to prepare the soil for the seed. You have to weed it. You have to hoe it. You have to rototill it. Uh, Hosea in Hosea 10.12 used a wonderful farming word and expression when he said, break up your fallow ground. What he meant was, prepare the soil of our hearts to receive God's word. 
Now, here in these verses in James, James is telling us what we do to prepare the soil of our heart. And let's spend some time this morning understanding what it is that we have to do. God will do His part, but we must do ours. Notice, first of all, James says we are to slow down and listen. We are to slow down and listen. He says, My beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. You ever been around non-stop talkers? People who are constantly talking? Of course we have. You, you can't get a word in edgewise. You sometimes have to interrupt them to be heard. Usually those people are not very mature, are they? In fact, some of the most immature people I have ever known talked more than they listened. Do you know the book of Proverbs is full of the perils of too hasty speech? Let me read a few Proverbs for you. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but he who estranges his lips is prudent. Proverbs 10.19 He who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. 13.3 Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. 17.28 And do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 29.20 You ever caught yourself in a conversation and you're not really listening to the other person? Ever found yourself doing that? Instead, you're thinking about what you're going to say as soon as they stop, right? Now, all of us have done that at times. Every single one of us have done that. But if we regularly do that, you know what it indicates? It indicates that we think that what we have to say is more important than what they have to say. And we are just waiting for them to stop talking so that we can say what's really important to us. Am I speaking to anyone here this morning? Are you a talker? When conversation is going on, Are you always the one who is doing the talking? Talking with your family, talking on the phone, talking with your friends, talking with your spouse. Everyone is always listening to me, 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 my opinions, my advice, my analysis. Do we see ourselves in that today? Talk, 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 talk. You know what the danger is with that? When we are like that, 
We don't learn from people who are wiser than we are. But there's even a greater danger. The bigger danger is with God. You see, when we come to church where the Word of God is taught, the temptation is that we don't really listen. We are so ready with our own thoughts and opinions and what's important to us that we don't listen. So we don't listen to the teacher, to the pastor, to the youth leader when the youth leader is speaking. We don't mull over what they are saying in our minds and seek to apply it to our lives. In fact, we may silently dismiss what is being said because we don't think maybe it's relevant to us, or we may even feel we don't need to be taught. In every church that I've ever been in, in addition to a worship service, there has been a a Bible study hour on Sunday morning. I one time had a a, a man who was very prominent in our church say this to me. He said, I don't go to Bible class on Sunday morning because it's not challenging enough for me. You know what the question that should be asked when somebody says that is? If it's not challenging enough for you, then why aren't you teaching? Right? Or is the real issue that you don't feel you need to be taught you're above others? Pride like that makes us unteachable. And God's Word cannot do anything for the unteachable person. Do you know what slow to speak here means? It means stop being so full of ourselves. Get off of our high horse. Humble ourselves. And quick to hear here means let God teach you His Word through others so that you can grow. The very first way that we prepare this soil in our hearts is to slow down and listen. I want you to notice that James says there's a second thing that we have to do. Secondly, he says, we have to calm down and consider. He says, we are to be slow to anger. Slow to anger. Have you ever tried to talk to an angry person? Their emotions are so in control that it is impossible to reason with an angry person. Uh, This past week, I I read a very interesting article. The title of the article was, How Not to Die. And uh, this is what it said. From 1978 to 1995, 37 men died from vending machines in the United States. 
After not receiving a soda or the right change, those men became very, very angry. And they began to shake the vending machine violently, often with cursing, until the machines fell over and crushed them to death. They became victims of their own anger. By the way, the guy who wrote the article said, don't fight with vending machines, they have the weight advantage. (laughs) Now that kind of irrational, explosive anger cannot be reasoned with. It's very interesting, uh, the word anger here comes from the Greek word orge. We get our word ogre from this Greek word. And you know that an ogre is an individual who has a seething, smoldering discontent. That's the kind of anger that is talked about here. Listen to how Pastor John MacArthur describes this. Orge, anger here, does not refer to an explosive outburst of temper, but to an inner deep resentment that seethes and smolders. Often unnoticed by others, it is therefore an anger that only the Lord and the believer know about. Therefore, it is a special danger in that it can be privately harbored. It is a deep-seated, smoldering, simmering discontent. That discontent is, is actually an anger. An anger that makes us resentful, bitter, and even hateful. It's very interesting here, in the Life Application Bible, there's a a little comment at this point that says this, anger closes the mind to God's truth. Have we ever considered that? Anger closes the mind to God's truth. You see, when we are full of anger, we're resentful, bitter, sometimes hateful. Those feelings cloud our minds, so our hearts are closed to God's attempt to communicate to us. This is why the Bible, over and over again, warns against harboring anger. We see that right in verse 20. Look at it. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we are in an angry frame of mind, we cannot possibly listen to God, and if God cannot communicate to us, we can't live the righteous life that He has called us to. And James is saying to us, prepare the soil of your heart. You have to calm down and consider how anger is blocking the voice of God in your very life. Take a moment with me and look at Paul's warning about this. 
Go back to Ephesians 4, and, and I want you to notice what he says in verses 30 to 32. Look at what he says. This is so important. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. To grieve the Holy Spirit of God means to shut Him down in our lives so that He cannot communicate to us and guide our lives. So Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't shut Him down in your life. Now notice the things that shut Him down. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then notice the fruits of these things that often linger in our lives that we fail to do. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven you. Do you see the principle here? The Holy Spirit cannot communicate to us so that our lives can be changed when we are filled with the offshoots and outflowing of anger. Bible teacher Kent Hughes, who used to be pastor at Wheaton College Avenue Church, put it so well. Listen to what he said. An angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. That is exactly what James is saying. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that pastors can get this way? Uh, One day, Pastor Warren Wearsby was visiting a church with his wife. Five minutes into the sermon, Pastor Wearsby turned over to his wife and he said, that pastor is angry. Five minutes into the sermon, he knew that he was angry. Do you know that can happen with you as well? You can be angry at work, angry in your church, angry with your neighbors, angry with your spouse, angry with your family, living with a deep-seated, smoldering discontent that breeds resentment, bitterness, and even hate. And James is saying, as long as that poisons our life, the seed of the Word of God will never do its work. Don't ever forget this. An angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. Sometimes as a pastor you wonder, why is it that certain individuals don't seem to grow in their walk with the Lord, though they've been in church for years and years? And sadly, it is often this very reason. Thirdly, thirdly, James says to prepare the soil for seed, we have to put away and submit. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness 
the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I take it here that he's talking about the saving of sanctification. I have been saved, that's justification. I will be saved, that's glorification. I am being saved, that is sanctification. And the way that that sanctification happens is by receiving with meekness the implanted Word. Do you know what we learn here? There is a moral qualification to understand the Bible. Uh, Two words here describe the heart. Filthiness, which is a reference to deliberate sin in our life, and rampant wickedness, which refers to the remainder of the old life that continues to cling to us. All of us have that, don't we? We come to Christ and there are certain habits and attitudes and and life things that we do that continue to cling to us. That's the rampant wickedness here. And what James is saying is that we have to pull out the weeds of the old life before the seeds of uh, the truth can be planted in the new life. Do you know what's interesting here? This word filthiness. It was used of a greasy, viscous juice. Let me ask you, where do you in your physical makeup have a greasy, viscous Juice. This word was used of earwax. That's what it was used of. I remember years ago when my father was still alive, he would have the TV on so loud we could hardly come into the house. And we would go over and turn down the television and uh, we would say, you know, Dad, uh, turn it down. And we thought he was losing his hearing. Do you know he went to the doctor? You know what he discovered? His ears were impacted with wax. When the doctor cleaned out all of that greasy, viscous juice, his hearing returned. And it was much more pleasant to visit his house. Do you see the illustration? We can't hear people when our ears are full of wax. So we can't hear God when our lives are full of sin. It is just that simple. If our life is full of sin, we cannot hear God. And we have to put away what is wrong. Many years ago in my former church, there was a a lady who came, who in getting to know her and her confiding in me, I knew that she was not living right. 
One time she actually said to me, every time I come here to this church, you're preaching against such and such. And I knew what was going on. She didn't want to change. And she was convicted about what she was doing every time there was an occasion to hear it from the pulpit. Do you know, one time on a Sunday, we had a visiting pastor. She was there. He mentioned the very thing she was doing. I sat in the congregation thinking to myself, I wonder how this is going over. She left that day. She never returned. I never saw her in church again. She simply would not put it away, though she clearly could have, and submit to God. And because she would not, she could not hear the voice of God. Do you know one of the greatest statements about learning the truth and the knowledge of God that I think is I've ever read? Came from the great reformer John Calvin. Listen to what he said. He said, Obedience is the mother of the true knowledge of God. Think about that. Obedience is the mother of the true knowledge of God. I would have said to you, I study to get the true knowledge of God. You know what the truth is? We obey to get the true knowledge of God. And if our study never leads to our obeying, we will never have the true knowledge of God. The Bible will only do us good when we obey what we know it says. And when we do that, watch out. Watch out. Because change is on the way. Do we desire to change this morning? Do we want to do more than just go through the motions and say, I was in church and I heard? I think we do. I think we want to prepare the soil of our lives so the seed can change us. And James says, this is how it must happen. Let's affirm it together this morning. Would you read them together with me? Number one, slow down and listen. Number two, calm down and consider. And number three, put away and submit. And when we do, 
we are receiving the word implanted with meekness which is able to save our souls let's thank the Lord for that this morning In just a moment, we will gather around the table of the Lord. And it's so appropriate we would have a message like this before communion. Because the purpose of communion is for us to thank Jesus for our great salvation. And then to examine our lives. To make sure that we are walking in the will of God. And maybe you are here today and there is a point of application for you. It may have to be that you are one of the non-stop talkers that we spoke about. And it's always your opinions, your analysis, your advice, and everyone is always listening to you. And that is carried over into an unteachable pride. Would you confess that to God today? Maybe it's your out of control anger that keeps you from being meek and therefore shuts the voice of God off from you. And you have to come to grips with that. Maybe there's filth in your life. Maybe there is a greasy, viscous sin that is keeping you from the Spirit of God's work in your life. And you're like that lady who doesn't want to change and therefore will not let conviction do its work. Whatever it is that we need to confess to the Lord today, in a moment we're going to be around the table of the Lord and we'll have an opportunity for private prayer of confession. And let's let Him do the work that He intends to do in our hearts today. Lord, we love you today. All of us who have ever had a garden know the importance of preparing the soil. And we thank you that you are such a great and loving God that you show us exactly how the soil is to be prepared. We don't have to fumble around in the dark. We don't have to wonder what do I need to do for this to happen. You have laid it out so beautifully and clearly for us. And I pray, Lord, today that you will hear many prayers of confession. And as those prayers of confession go up, that there will be a making of our hearts right with the God who has saved us so that that work of sanctification that I believe James here is talking about, of continuing to see our souls saved more and more and made more like Jesus will go on as the implanted Word is received in meekness. 
We thank you now for Jesus' sake. Amen.